sexy mummies. Mm-mm. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Groovy Movies. My name is Lily Austin. And my name's James Brailsford. Hello. How are you doing, James? Well, you know, uh, not too great. I, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I'm not a bit under the weather, and uh, I was thinking, objectively, I've had a bit of a cold, Aww. but subjectively, I've been dying. You know, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. That's that's terrible to hear. It's. I think it's the classic case of man flu I've had. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing all right, but like I can't think straight. What is reality? You know. So I'm in a perfect position to record an episode of Groovy Movies. So yeah, we did buckle, have up, a... buckle up, listeners. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> Yeah, we did have another episode planned. I posted about it on our Instagram page. We're going to do an episode about fashion and film. Um, But we've decided to push it back a week. This was James' idea because he was like, I just need to watch some comforting films. I need to be (laughs) hugged in a cinematic duvet. (laughs) (laughs) And also, my brain, don't make me do proper thinking. Don't make me do proper thinking. Let let me just talk about films that make me feel all warm and fuzzy or kind of soothe my brain box. Because, yeah, yeah, thinking's a bit hard right now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, apologies, listeners, that we are recording and therefore we're going to be releasing this episode a tiny bit late sorry Um, but hopefully it will be worth it you'll enjoy us talking about the (laughs) films that that make us feel comforted provide us a bit of comfort yeah (laughs) it's it's, you know i I guess most things can provide us comfort like this comfort food comfort uh, clothing and (laughs) you know a, a film that you put on just to kind of soothe the brain soothe the mind yeah yeah what do you think when it, when do you most need a comforting film? Is it at times like this when you're feeling poorly or? Yeah, when I'm feeling poorly or when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm feeling down. There's like certain films you can, you know you're going to put on because, you know, you know me, I, li- I like my arty French films at times, but they aren't comfort films. You know, they aren't <laughs> going to soothe my brain. <laughs> you know, the first films that come to mind when I was thinking of comfort films are films from my childhood, you know. And yes. I, 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 you know, the thing is, there's, there's no, you know, I'm also trying to think, because it's groovy movies, we try and, I think, you know, uncover perhaps hidden gems and all that kind of stuff. So I don't have any, like, um, rarities or cult classics, really. They're, they're kind of on the nail. So, like, it's a lot of... Um, what I would say the end of the golden era of Hollywood, which is like 80s films. So we're talking Spielberg and Lucas, you know, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They like even just saying those names immediately, I'm like, ah, nostalgia. (laughs) You saying Star Wars just made like this warm, fuzzy feeling erupted in my heart. Like, uh, you're right. (laughs) It's definitely childhood. Nostalgia is such an important part of, of films being comforting. And also, he based it on classic mythological archetypes, so it kind of has the feeling of a fairy story. You know, you've got wizards, you've got very clear good versus evil. The bad guys are in black, the good guys wear white. It's, you know, anybody can lock on to what this film is trying to say. It's the combination of the the film that you watch repeatedly as a child and also the escapism of another world being shown. Yeah, and when I want to be comforted, I want to be out of my own head. I don't want to be in this foggy brain fog. <laughs> I'm dying. Everything's awful. I want to be in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I hear you. I hear you. I, and that's why for me on my list, I have the mummy 
<laughs> the mummy. Oh, the Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser, now- Rachel Weiss vehicle, directed by Stephen Summers and Rob Cohen. And this is a film that, well, I came to it in a kind of roundabout way because um, I I didn't see it before seeing The Mummy Returns, which I saw because I went to, the year it was released, I went to America with my mum and we went to Universal Studios in Hollywood and they had a Mummy Returns like walkthrough experience. You know, when you're not sat in a ride, but you walk through and then things jump out at you. Yeah. Oh my God, it was the most traumatizing time of my life. I literally don't have, I blanked out. I don't remember what happened. All I remember is squeezing my mum's hand so tight that she literally, like, it was like damaged. Oh God. And she had (laughs) to say to all the actors towards the end, like, she's very scared. She's very scared. And they would like that. Oh my God, she was apologizing to the immersive performers. Well, sort of just (laughs) saying to them, like, don't, please don't jump out at her because she's already utterly terrified. It was so, so scary. But weirdly, Despite that, it then made me want to watch The Mummy Returns. Watch the film, amazing. Which I did. And then after that, I watched The Mummy. And I mean, they're both fantastic, but The Mummy is is the superior film. And I watched it again not, not that long ago, like a few months ago. And it is just the nostalgia thing. And like children, I feel like children are obsessed with Egypt. There's something about the the world of Egypt, which is so fab. And I think the escapism of going into that world where you've got these like sexy, <laughs> sexy mummies. <laughs> sexy mummies. I don't mm-hmm. want to say that. That's what I'm here for. Don't but, sexualize know, mummies. <laughs> don't objectify <laughs> them, Lily. They've been undead for thousands of years. I didn't watch The Mummy until I went to film school. So I was like 25, 26 when I first watched The Mummy. And I loved it. I thought it was an absolute classic. I think it, it it's like, even though it's a decade later or maybe 15 years later than Indiana Jones, it's it's completely, you know, it's it's in that sphere, you know, the kind of... Oh, yeah, totally. It's totally... A- I- Brendan Fraser is trying to be Indiana Jones for sure, and and that that scene where um, um, the library books get knocked over by the I the, was the thinking li- about that with the with that's the incredible. Yes. That's like with bookcases, you know, basically through an accident, Rachel Wise causes a, like a domino effect of all these library huge shelves of bookcases. And it's all done practically. Like I remember watching the behind the scenes on the DVD. That was all done for real. It's like, oh, that's really? how you In make camera. a film. Yeah. Oh. In camera. I completely agree. It's a quality comfort film. It's not one that I think because I don't have a childhood relationship to it. Um, and I certainly don't have the kind of weird trauma bonding experience that you had. When you- <laughs> <laughs> like, that's some Stockholm syndrome there with the film. Uh, that, that, that it doesn't quite, it, you know, it's not on my immediate list of ghosts, but I completely can see why it's a comfort film. Absolutely. Well, that's the joy of us doing this podcast and us being slightly different like age groups is that we get to compare notes and have different relationships with the same movies. <laughs> so we've discussed like, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, they're films that I reached from my childhood, but I've got a, a solid film that is one that I only discovered in my adulthood that kind of hits the same spot, but it it's just a film that satisfies me a bit more as a, you know, wannabe filmmaker, film appreciator, but doesn't require too much thinking. You know, it's like a the sweet spot. Okay, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Which 
which is The Fall by a director called Tarsem. Not to be confused with everybody. Don't go thinking it's that BBC drama that's about like some serial killer. I love no, that it's, show. It's got, <laughs> great, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, do, but, not a, but not a comfort watch. Um, no. Just in case you're Googling and you download a film, I just want it to be clear. It's by a guy called Tarsem. He was at one time, possibly still is, the most like highly paid in-demand commercials director. And okay. this was a mixture of a passion project and a calling card and like a blank, not really blank check. He self-financed this film. So it's um, he had total creative control because he paid for everything. And it's it's I would say it's a riff on kind of the Wizard of Oz, you know, so so oh, it, interesting. It, it's it's all takes place in the imagination um of like a small child. It's set in the 1930s and it's set in a hospital and there's a recovering stuntman from the silent movie era. Uh, he's fallen and in, in a stunt and he's hurt his leg and he's in this hospital and he befriends or a little girl kind of befriends him. She's wandering around the wards and so they strike up this unlikely friendship and to entertain her, he tells stories to her based on little things she's told him. But, the, hey, but, watch cool. the, but the stories that he's narrating are filtered through her imagination. So she gets some things mixed up. So he talks about um, uh, an Indian character and she imagines a an, somebody from India, whereas he's talking about an American native Indian. So there's this throughout the film, there's this slight mismatch between what the story he's telling and the story that she's imagining. Oh, I like that. I'm quite into that. That's good. Um, and what makes this film a comfort watch is it's just visually beautiful. It's one of the most visually stunning films I've ever seen, and it's all been shot on locations around the world. So the way that he made the film was he made it over the space of about four years, and he had a very small cast. So he, like there's about five central actors. So what he did, he would do a very expensive commercial in a really exotic location, and he'd be like, ah, that would be make a really good scene in my film. So he would then fly his small cast out to this beautiful location, and film like five minutes of the film and then months later when he'd found another location that would work he'd fly them out and so piecemeal he made the film over the course of several years it's a classic story of like you know bad good versus it's all the, it's all the archetypes so i think that's what helps make it you don't have to engage your brain too much we all know it's good versus evil and it's set in a fantasy world uh, and it just it, it it's absolutely beautiful. And just to know as you're watching it that um, everything you're seeing exists in the world around us gives it an extra, you know, extra something. I um, I have to say all of the ones that came to mind were films that I watched in my childhood or early adolescence. I think for me, comfort is so tied up with the familiar and like nostalgia um, that I didn't, nothing really came to mind but then while you were talking i did think about submarine which i watched i, oh, I think yeah. that came out when i was at uni perhaps um, it's about 2010 ish it came out yeah yeah oh yeah well then that would that checks out yeah exactly um just when i was finishing school um richard ioadi's first movie and I find that film incredibly, incredibly comforting. And I don't usually, I have a bit of an, a thing against, I don't love to see teens or preteens on screen that much. <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your issue with teens slash preteens on screen, Lily? I'm surprised I've never confessed this before on the podcast. Have we not talked about <laughs> oh, this? We, we, we're getting, we, we, we've got some new insights into our into our into both our psyches so far. Please. <gasps> I know. 
I mean, it's look, it's not a, it's not at all a hard and fast rule. Um, mm. But in general, it has to be really, really well made for me to care because like, I just don't, oh, I, see. I just don't care about teenagers' lives. Like I'm, I see. I'm not a teenager anymore, and so like I was into the into it when I was that age. But now I'm like, I just don't care. I don't care. So, so, so Hunger Games is not for you. Then. Oh, oh, god, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But it's more like that. At least is like you know actiony fantasy like there's there's other stuff going on it's more that i don't want to see teenagers falling in love and having dramas at school like i don't want to see anything at school get me away from right (laughs) i think perhaps because i didn't like love school school was very much like i just got to get through it and then i can save my life like survival mode Yeah. yeah exactly so i don't really care to be taken back to it but this film is so so beautifully just the 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 way the characterization is so good but i think what really makes it comforting for me and that was something i like noticed with my the list that i compiled for this episode was that the soundtrack is amazing on it and Mm. it was alex turner from the arctic monkeys uh did the soundtrack for the film and it's just gorgy and works so beautifully with the way that the film is filmed you know that there's a beautiful marrying of those two things and i think for me a lot of the films that come to mind when I think of comfort films are ones with really banging soundtracks. That's, oh, really? Yeah, for me, it's it, that is such an important part of the escapism is being submerged in a world where I love the way it looks and I love the way it sounds. Uh, yeah, no, no, I can completely relate to that. I, I guess my choice, oh, no, actually, actually, I've got one coming up that does have more like uh, real world music. So you got the orchestral music of, you know, we we all agree Star Wars and John Williams' scores are beautiful. But we're talking about um, so Alex Turner's. I haven't watched Submarine in a while. So Alex Turner's is it is it like oh, score or is it uh, like songs or a bit of both? It's it's both. It's both. There's definitely um, instrumental, but then he he's he. He he sings a lot in it as well. Like it's like yeah. a mix of the two. He kind of had a little bit of a French New Wave slash Wes Anderson vibe that I loved about it. Exactly, because I feel like you could have connected related to the main character because he's very into <laughs> French New Wave vibes. I've watched it many times. I don't actually think it counts as an out and out comfort film because there is this melancholy to it, which I find very very touching and engaging. But actually, <laughs> you need to. I can't be in my Downest, downest mood yeah. for it. <laughs> and th- this is an important part of a comfort film is we, we can't have it, can't get too heavy. Kind yes. of, it can't really get too heavy. Yes, exactly. But, but, but I'm saying saying this, and like my 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 mother third film I've got for you, it kind of I'm contradicting myself. But anyway, a question I've got for you, Lily, because when we were, when I threw this out as a topic to uh, to discuss, I thought, well, you know, because I I'm I wouldn't like to speak on your behalf, but I imagine that a comfort TV show for you may be Sex in the City. I imagine <laughs> you could put that on. But but so so but because this is groovy movies, not groovy TV. What about the first sex? Because I know the second Sex in the City film, I haven't seen it, but I know that's not going to get a comfort movie. But what about the first one? Or is that no, still no, not? no, no, no? The, no. Look, sex in the City actually for me isn't. It, it's not really a comfort show in a in a way. It's sort of more just. In my DNA, kind of vibes. Like, okay, it's it's always a bit like <laughs> it's always a bit like Doctor there. Who for me. Doctor yeah. Who's like I wouldn't go to Doctor Who for a comfort watch, kind of. But yeah, yeah, I got yeah. this love it. I mean, the, whenever I'm like coming, trying to think of pictures to post on our Instagram to like you know, with this episode, I posted some 
stills from films to invoke the sense that you weren't very well and we were going to do this episode. <laughs> and the first thing that always comes to mind whenever I'm posting is a scene from Sex and City. Like it was very, e I immediately uh, thought of Samantha when she was ill with a cold and that would have been the perfect thing to post. And I, it took me a lot longer to think of what I could have could do for that was a film related. <laughs> so I think just my, my brain is always when it's in like screensaver mode. I'm just always on Sex and City. So it's actually, yeah, it's not so much a comfort as just a per perpetual state of being. Like I'm so, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> that show is so much a part of me. <laughs> and, as problematic as it is. And, and, but the, the, but the TV show is so profoundly different to the films. I don't, the films I have no interest in. I, I watched the first one out of, you know, interest and, it doesn't can it doesn't compute with me. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit. The tone is completely different. It's just a different beast. And the second one, I only watched recently half-heartedly because I thought, well, it's kind of I the completest in you. Yeah, the completest in me. But it I didn't complete it because I barely was watching it. I just kept because it was so offensive and awful. It's just like beyond yeah. terrible, terrible. So no. So for me, no. Those are not comfort films. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> understood. Not. I mean, I mean, like, like, um, uh, uh, my connection with Sex and the City. Um, I think I've told you this a few times, but I think he is as good a point to put it out there in the open. Was um, <laughs> when I went to film school in two thousand and one, uh, in the very first week before we all knew each other, as like a warm up exercise for all the students to kind of get to know a little bit about each other. The tutor said, "Right, want to." each of you to go around in turn, introduce yourself <laughs> to the rest of the class and say what your name is and say uh, the, your favorite TV show of all time. And I just, I sat there and I was like, it was, I was about halfway around. It would have been halfway around, like there were about five people in front of me. And I thought, shit, I can't say Doctor Who because that's seriously uncool at film school, right? I'm, uh, I'm trying to position myself as the arty French film kind of guy, right? With a populist <laughs> twist. And I thought, so I can't say Doctor Who this is my mind racing and everyone else was saying, I remember they were saying Sopranos. I think shit, I haven't seen Sopranos. So I can't, I can't say Sopranos. I haven't seen it. And I was like, okay, the prisoner is like my second best, but that's from the sixties. It's in everyone's, you know, it's got to be more contemporary. And so I just thought, okay, James, oh, you can have to what was, no. the, what was the last show that you watched that you enjoyed? And so I was like, my name's James Brailsford. My favorite TV show of all time is sex in the city. And now, full disclosure, I'd only seen like three episodes and I really liked it. I'm not trashing Sex and the City, but it definitely wasn't, you know, that's my relationship oh my with Sex God. and the City. I introduced myself to all my RT film school fellow students as James Brailsford, favorite show of Sex and the City. I'm obsessed with that story. I'm obsessed with it. But you know what? It it, it made you very ahead of, it, of, of, your, of your time, I think. <laughs> and I'm sure it, you, it endeared you to a lot of the women in in there. If I, I think if it confused else. a lot of people as to why I was at film school. Anyway. Oh come on! That it, the thing about Sex and City. Okay, we won't. I'm, I won't let us get too sidetracked. But that show is very different from other TV shows that were being made at the time because it isn't a studio. It's all mm. location based, and. So there is a beautiful cinematic quality to the to the TV show, which is weirdly lost in the films. But in yeah. those, I mean, they were trying a few different things. So it is quite televisual in some ways. As in the first few series, she's talking to camera and stuff like that. But it has. A oh really? Oh my god! Oh my god! I feel like we've got a side side podcast here. Where anyway, we'll get back to films. We'll get back to films. Mm. <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. Right, well. So 
Uh, do we have a do you have a curveball comfort film? Because I think so far, I think we can kind of all agree the the, the ones we're discussing they're, they're comfort films. I'm, I've got one for you that's that's I don't know. It's a comfort film to me, but I like I would recommend the ones we've discussed so far to go out and investigate. But this one, I feel like this is I've got to caveat it a bit. It works for me. I'm not sure it would work for everybody. Okay, I want to hear about that. Can I also just say that you said that these were all kind of. None of these were like uh, curveball, uh, what hidden gem mm. films, but I oh, think no. the fool is definitely that. I'd never oh no, heard so, of sorry, it. I, I meant my, the, the, I meant the ones from my childhood, like the the, uh, the not, oh you know, sure, like, okay, yeah. The, this, what you know, kid I, is like just smoking <laughs> a cigar, going, <laughs> oh, didn't you just like, love Citizen Kane? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, my my my. I remember the first time I watched a real arty film was a Peter Greenaway at thirteen. But you know, I was in my I was a teenager by then. But uh, oh no, but yeah, I think that's pretty uh, good. That's still that's still pretty young. Yeah, that, that that's what kickstarted me off into investigating the world of like French films and other stuff out there. But yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for giving me a break for being a, a kid who was into Star Wars rather than French films. Yeah. Well, quite right. It would be psychotic if you were a kid yeah. into French films. I'd be very worried about you. So like <laughs> that's absolutely crap. I've got a pass. It's absolutely. So so tell me about your curveball. My film. curveball. I want to just get a caveat here before I get into the film because uh, I don't take any comfort from the subject matter of the film at all uh, because it uh, this want to get into it, but it's just the way the film is told, the way it's uh, presented to me. Because I think one thing that cheers me up when I'm a bit down, and I've noticed I do this more and more, is learning new stuff or learning things. It just kind of cheers me up, get a bit of a dopamine hit, get those new neural connections uh, firing. Gosh, so that is definitely not how but, I feel, but I love that for you. Uh, right, <laughs> but but it also when I'm feeling a bit down it needs to be like it needs to be low-key learning and so this one it, it hits the spot in a way that i i have to say it um it's probably the film that i've watched most in my adult life you know disregarding my childhood where star wars was on all the time this is the one film more than any christopher nolan film if you can believe that as such a thing is true uh, this is the <laughs> one film that like and, and i wouldn't even i wouldn't even say that this is in my top 10 or top 20 films of all time but it's certainly the most watched film I've, I've watched Amanda Live, and it is The Big Short. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Which is I a film about the... You need to watch that. <laughs> ah, right, right. <laughs> I began it, and then I turned it off. But I will it's... give it another go. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I just think I wasn't in the mood for Margot yeah, to watch a film in the bath madly. <laughs> I mean, God damn it, what's wrong with you? Who said it? I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Not, not, not only is Margot Robbie in a bath, she's explaining what a subprime mortgage is. Well, let me explain that that was the part that put me off. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh God, Margot, so what shh, <laughs> let me just put you on mute and look at you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so for, for, for listeners who, who don't know what the premise of the film is it's based on real world events it's world based on the 2007 2008 financial crisis crash where the banks all had to be bailed out um which said out loud is a very dry very you know d d sad subject to make a film about and yet it's one of for me as, as somebody who loves film it's one of the most engaging films i've ever seen and and every time if it's on television or i happen to put it on it's one of the few films where i can sit and watch it without feeling like i need a break or you know i yeah, will suddenly yeah, find yeah. myself locked into it it 
speaks to the genius of Adam McKay, the director, that he managed to take mm. such a subject and make an entertaining film. It's got music, it's got Margot Robbie in a bubble bath, it's got comedy, it's it's you know, it's got Brad Pitt. It's just got a bit of everything <laughs> that you it's got a bit of everything you go to the cinema for. You know what? You're helping me think of a comfort film from my grown up years. So thank you for that because Ooh. because actually what this <laughs> reminds me of is um is my favorite documentary, uh, which is called Wiener. And it's a it's it follows yeah it's called Wiener and it follows Anthony Wiener who was a Democrat um, politician who was um, publicly shamed and lost his seat in I believe in like <laughs> government <laughs> I don't I don't know enough about U.S. politics to know exactly what he was doing but basically he lost his 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 seat because he was found out to be having like sexting young women whilst he was married mm. to uh huma abedin who was um hillary clinton's like right-hand woman um anyway so this documentary follows him kind of post that downfall whilst he's running to be new york's mayor and basically, I don't want to give too much away because it's very compelling but basically the film really documents a second downfall for him and it is like oh no and it's like mad nah, because this shouldn't be a comforting film and it's not you know predatory men on the surface doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be very comforting but there is something about the way this this documentary it's like very very smartly and astutely like captures this man's vulnerability and all his flaws even as he's a very engaging charismatic person and and because he's he's a he's one of the good guys he's like a a really good Democrat. Politically, he's a good guy. And so right. it's just, I find it very, very uh, engaging watching. So I've watched it many times, many times. Oh my God. So so our adult our adult comfort watches are both ones where if you just yeah. put, gave us the bullet points of what the film's about, you'd be like, and that's comforting. But it's the way the story, the characters involved, the way the story involves. So my question is, um, this documentary, do they have like interviews with uh Sorry, what's his full name? Why Anthony Weiner? Um, That's what's Anthony amazing Wiener. about it. He's caught in a sex scandal, and his surname is <laughs> Weiner. It's it writes itself. This is what's mad about it. He kind of agreed to be followed by these filmmakers. He wanted them to follow him and his family during his uh, his new his mayoral campaign as you know publicity, and then all this stuff comes out about him that he's doing at the time whilst he's so being they filmed. So they they document the whole trajectory you know it's ah. it's i think and i think something about that is like very compelling viewing. oh that's great because because it's in the moment that's like that's it's, a documentary maker's dream isn't it that the filmmakers went into that thinking they were just filming the run-up to the mayoral election and then they actually ended up with an incredible sort of story that that they weren't even aware was ex existed until it happened in front of them yeah i mean i'm sure they were thinking they would be watching this man trying to rebuild his image after a downfall not watching a, a second downfall as it's happening in action yeah right now now uh, this is a film i didn't even know existed and you, um, i'm sold lily sold i think yeah, maybe uh, it's uh this afternoon's viewing to, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll i'll message you my thoughts on whether it was my kind of comfort movie we'll, we'll okay see excellent, how we excellent. <laughs> well that was a slight that was a, that was an unexpected addition to my mm. list but can i give you my curveball film Please hit me with that curveball. <laughs> okay, so mine is also a childhood favorite. And the reason it's a curveball is because it is a bit of a weird film 
for a child to like. Oh, I actually, great. I'm, I'm all ears. I actually rewatched it because it was my mum who introduced me to this film. And um, and we rewatched it together last night in preparation. And she was like, it's really weird that you like this film so much and you watch it so many <laughs> times as a kid. And it is. And the, the film is... Is it Basic Instinct? It's... It's not. In a way, it's weirder than that. This one is Tea with Mussolini. <laughs> the... Tea with Mussolini? Yeah, this is... <laughs> this is a film made in 1999, um, directed by Franco Zeffirelli, and it stars Maggie Smith, Judy Dench, Lily Tomlin, and uh, Cher. Crucially, wow, Cher okay. is in it, and I'm I'm convinced because my main memory of this film, I I remember that I loved it and it was very comforting to me, and the main thing I remembered about it was that Cher was in it. So I think this was my first encounter with Cher, and that is what started my lifelong love of her. And she she is her her most Cheriest in this right. film. It follows a young boy um, in Florence who. He has this kind who's a, an Italian boy, but he's his father is very neglectful because he was like had with he's the um product of an affair. Anyway, he's brought up basically by all these old English women who are like expats living in Florence Florence and loving the art there. And right. plus Cher, this American woman who comes in and this wealthy oh. expat who's like full glam, amazing costumes. But the crucial thing about this film is it's set in uh, 1935 onwards. <laughs> so war is coming. <laughs> so basically, what I forgot is that this film, as the title suggests, is about uh, fascism. Fascism, maybe? yeah, fascism in Italy and the mistreatment of these these women who like don't want to leave and love the country there, but they kind of end up being uh, basically held up in in prison <laughs> by the fascists. So can, it is this one of these films where the title promises something that doesn't happen? Oh, no, no, no. There is tea with Mussolini. Maggie Smith uh. has tea with Mussolini quite near the beginning. In my memory, that happened towards the end. But no, no, this like happens within the first sort of half an hour. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. It sounds like it's going to be like a metaphor for something, right? Yeah, absolutely. But Metaphorical no, it's tea. incredibly literal. She does have tea with <laughs> Mussolini. And it's just very weird that as a child, I was drawn to a film about old English women dealing with fascism and it has, <laughs> there's so much about the film that's very very strange but i think I, I i can't quite explain to you what is comforting about it for me but i think i do like a historical film and the the world wars are kind of i don't know it's almost like in my bones to be like interested in them because we're so it's sort of assimilated with the mummy like these are the these are the moments in history we were taught as young children. So I don't know if yeah. it's something about that. But honestly, I think it's mainly just Cher. <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of the film, but I didn't know, know much about it whatsoever. Okay. It's honestly the oddest film. I don't even know if I want to recommend it to you, James, because I just don't know if it will speak to you. But I'll, I'll stick with the Anthony Weiner documentary, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah like I said, my recommendation for you would certainly be The Fall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you, you, you've you've clearly given uh, the Big Short a try, but definitely, definitely the fall. That, that, I'm going to rewatch that... the Big Short. I need to properly give it. A, a yeah, go. yeah, give it a whirl. Um, I want to just quickly mention my other the the ones that came to mind that I haven't mentioned mm. before because the thing the film that is my ultimate comfort film 
And I oh, kind yes, of touched yeah. on it in terms of like great soundtracks is Juno, the 2007 film directed by Jason Reitman. Have you seen yeah. it? Oh, I've seen it multiple times. It's a great film. Yes. Yeah, one of the a cracking script. It's just, yeah, the script is by Diablo Cody and she wrote it. This was the first script she ever wrote and she wrote it whilst... Um, I believe she was a stripper at that point. And she just decided one day, like, I mean, I think she'd, she had various creative outlets, but she just decided she was going to write this script. She had this idea. And just every day, I know this because of the, there's an audio commentary with Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody talking about the film and even their dynamic and how they talk to each other during that. I always found incredibly comforting and like lovely because they had such a nice relationship, you know, very like, teasing but mutual respect it was kind of amazing because you know it's she's not your like typical script writer you know she doesn't totally fit the hollywood mold she's so good at writing the character of juno she's so witty and and entertaining and i just want to be in her world the world that they build around her and for those people who haven't seen the film, it's about um, a kind of a teenage pregnancy, and mm-hmm. the whole film is her trying to deciding what she's going to do about the the child she has. Yeah, just kind of the whole that her so her interactions with family and 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 the new potential new parents, the like the people in her life while she's going through the like months of her pregnancy. But yeah, this is a film that it came out when I was a teenager. And my sisters and I loved it and we got the soundtrack and I watched it many, many times. I think I, I, so there is again, like a really beautiful, like mix, like marrying of the, the soundtrack. It's all kind of like Belle and Sebastian and Moldy Peaches. And so I became obsessed with all the bands like Ah. on the soundtrack and something about their music fits so perfectly, not just with her character. Apparently Ellen Page suggested Moldy Peaches, like the director said to her, what would Juno listen to? And she said, Moldy Peaches. Ah, right. Yeah. And, and um, there's something about just, not just that character, but the, kind of look and feel of the film it all ties together so nicely i don't it's pure escapism for me oh i think i need to rewatch it yeah i i actually think that's what due a little rewatch as well um, <laughs> well thank you for for sticking with us listeners and apologies if i'm not my usual sparkling self or even worse you think this is the best i've ever been i mean i think i think this could be up there as one of our best episodes yet because uh, it just uh. it's confessional <laughs> everyone now knows what is behind well, our pretentious mask <laughs> oh my god it's a mask off moment for us well i'm sure the i'm sure our listeners will will we will let us know either way. Yes, exactly. Well, to finish up, shall we do another entry to the film pharmacy? Absolutely. Yes, please. Okay. So what do we have this week? Well, this week we have a, a submission, which I think is actually nicely in keeping with the theme of the episode. Shall I oh, play excellent. it? excellent. Yes, please. Hi, Lillian James. This is one of your regular groovy movers just checking in with a quandary that I think would be relevant for your film pharmacy section. Please prescribe me some strong uh, morphine-like movie medicine for my quandary, which is that my family are almost exclusively into watching um, surface-level, vapid romantic comedies. I, on the other hand, love... Anything with a philosophical edge, replete with thought experiments, think Black Mirror, and so on. 
So I love that he referred to himself as a groovy mover, which is oh. like, I think it's quite a great name for, for our listeners, if a little bit like Zumba-esque. So let's get into it. James, what do you think? Well, you know, w- w- what I think, I think let's let's give give the people what they want. Give your, your loved ones what they want. So lure them <laughs> in with, I think, s- pitch them a Jim Carrey romantic comedy. Right, so that's 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 the little hook that you're going to dangle, but and then what you're going to give them is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Aww. I mean, it may be one that he, they've already seen, so I, I you know, but but I think that hits the nail on the head. You've got Jim Carrey; it's a romance, it's comedy, but you know, it's got layers. It it's dark, it's twist. I mean, yeah, it, does it not? Have, I, I've certainly laughed a few times. It's, I would say it's a dark comedy. Yes, Pers- you know, oh, it's, it's a what bit it, what bum it, but, out there. I mean, I love it. It's one of my favorite films. But <laughs> yeah, to, to me, it's one of my favorites. But you know, I certainly think it's got it's got what it what it isn't though is a Jim Carrey comedy. It's it's a romantic it's a romantic kind of twisted romantic drama that happens to have Jim Carrey in it. But you know, if you go into it looking for a Jim Carrey kind of comedic experience, he plays the flattest kind of character in his filmography. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, my, and, but, and definitely my favourite by far. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's that <laughs> and the true... The only Jim Carrey films I think I've actually watched are um, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind and The Truman Show, which is a great film. Uh, oh, actually, oh, you know what? As we're talking, I'm, I'm going to say maybe, maybe I'm going to say Truman Show because it's a yeah. little bit... Oh, I think that's a great what? suggestion. Here you've heard it live on air. I've changed my mind. I'm, I'm recalling. Well, no, you could do a double. You could do a Jim Carrey double bill. Oh my god! Even uh, an even better pitch to your family. Jim Carrey double bill all afternoon. Start with the Truman <laughs> Show and then lead into yeah. Get kind of loot because they'll probably totally engage with Truman Show on its own terms because you know yeah. it's a, a comedy, but it's got it's got layers to it about surveillance culture, about kind of the nature of reality television. I mean even before reality TV took off in a way that it has done and then hit them with the home run of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And what about yourself, Lily? So for me, I instantly, a film film came to mind, a film that I watched with our friend of the podcast, Emily. (laughs) Um, Oh, shout out to Emily. Yeah, we were, I think it was like kind of lockdown-ish times and it was, was, well, maybe it was after coming back from Christmas. Anyway. It was just the two of us when we used to live together with some other housemates. And we this film came up on Amazon and we were like, oh, that looks kind of fun. So it's called Palm Springs. And have you seen the movie? I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. I heard it was like a modern kind of twist or a version of like the Groundhog Day style story. But but that's all. Yeah, it's a bit like Groundhog Day in a sense, but it's it's a lot more... It's a bit more black mirror-y in a way because so on the surface, it just seems like quite a generic comedy in a way. And like the way it's filmed, it's got Andy Sandberg and Kristen Milotti playing these people who meet at a wedding. And then basically they get trapped in a loop of living the same day again and again. And uh-huh. whilst with Groundhog Day, it kind of focuses on the, of Bill Murray becoming a better person. With this, it's much more about the kind of philosophical question of how 
what what to do about this problem how are they going to try and get out of it or how are they going to live their lives during it and it's like it's a really good combination because you don't expect it to actually have this kind of philosophical depth to it you know it could have easily just taken the sort of shallowest approach to the mm. the con to the conceit but actually yep. it it has like them as a couple are incredibly fun and funny and Emily and I both loved watching them for the kind of first third of their time in this loop just having lots of fun together and make and enjoying the situation that they're in and making the most of it but then it moves into this kind of deeper level stuff so i think it is a good balance it like it lures it lures you in with a bit of frothy stuff at the beginning exactly but then actually has this like deeper question that it's exploring underneath so i i think it's a good balance of the two it surprised me i was really impressed by it because you know you to when it begins you don't think it's gonna it, it, the look of the film is this very kind of middle of the road adam sandler kind of comedy but it's got more going for it. When I saw the kind of pictures for it, that's kind of almost what turned me off a little bit. It just looked a little bit like kind of generic glossy look to it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of amazed I even watched it because honestly, like to, to initially look at it, it's just not my kind of movie at all, but it really will surprise yeah. you. It's got more to it than that. So that would be my strong recommendation. That follow following from your <laughs> Jim Carrey. Oh, a double bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do a marathon of these kinds of films and tell us what you think. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for another episode. Have you survived, James? How are you feeling? Um, I'm hanging in there. I need to. I need to lie down in a dark room and die. <laughs> oh God! Because well... I have the man flu. <laughs> Well, we will we will be back hopefully at the same at, at, at the at the usual time next week. Hopefully, we'll you'll try have and get back on schedule. Then. Yeah, we are so sorry. We are so we try, we trying our best, but you know we got busy lives, and then I got <laughs> ill, which kind of threw a spanner in the bloody work. So sorry about that. We 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 trying our best. We're trying to be on the regs. <laughs> um, but if you can forgive us that, please do like follow and subscribe. Send us a review. It really helps other people find us if you review the podcast. Please just take a couple of minutes. We would absolutely love a review on Apple uh, Podcasts. That would be great. Thank you. And we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Instagram at GroovyMoviesPod or email us GroovyMoviesPod at gmail.com. Groovy Movies was produced and edited by Lily Austin. Music and sound by James Brailsford. Our logo was designed by Abby Joe Sheldon. For references and more information about the films discussed, check out the show notes.